In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie. To support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or even on your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. <laughs> Duncan Holder podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Glad you're joining us today. Uh, Of course, if you're listening to our podcast, uh, you can do so in a variety of ways. Theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You can get 40% off of your first year's annual subscription. Of course, you get all of our great podcasts, uh, all of our great content, New Orleans, Saints, LSU, Pelicans, Tulane, whatever else is going on in New Orleans, uh, you could get all of that. And of course, you can get all of your teams elsewhere, whether uh, you're into the Premier League soccer that's cranking up, uh, or you're into the Chicago Cubs, or you're into hockey, whatever, it doesn't matter. We, of course, we're covering it all here. Uh, so jump on theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder for 40% off of your first year's annual subscription. Also, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can get the Duncan Holder podcast each and every episode straight shipped to you. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a million uh, to jump on the Duncan Holder podcast. But uh, look, ever since the the last time uh, we've spoken, uh, I would say the uh, local culture of New Orleans has certainly uh, taken a bit of a turn. Uh, of course, we are referring in the sports world to what's happened with Drew Brees. We're going to talk a lot about that uh, here on today's podcast. Back half of the podcast, though, we will jump into the Pelicans. We know they will be playing basketball, which is a welcome sight uh, come the end of July. So we will have our own. Will Guillory covers the Pelicans for The Athletic. He will get us all caught up and honestly, a refresher course of what's happening with the Pelicans uh, once they got off the court, how they were playing, how they're going to approach going into this uh, quarantine life of the NBA. So we'll talk with Will Guillory. Uh, but Jeff, look, you've written about it a couple of times. Uh, I happened to be on vacation, but took a break and spoke on maybe 50 radio shows, I feel like, across the country and in, uh, in, in internationally as well about what's happened with Drew Brees and his comments about the protests and specifically uh, protesting during the national anthem. And we have gone 
from uh, a 180 in Drew Brees' approach to this. Jeff, I know you've talked to people. I've talked to people about this. Uh, Jeff, your reaction to where we've come from and where we stand now with, with this, uh, of course, uh, ex- extremely hot-button topic here, uh, not just here in New Orleans, but uh, across the country. Well, I don't think it's uh, going away anytime soon. I think Deuce McAllister last week said this is not going to be a, a one-day solution or a one-day story, and I couldn't agree more with him. He um, he hit the nail on the head. I think this is going to be a, a season-long story. Uh, unfortunately for Drew Brees, uh, it's going to be something he's going to deal with uh, maybe for the rest of his career. And I think he genuinely was uh, heartbroken by the reaction uh, to his comments by teammates. Uh, and uh, I think it was an eye-opener for him and his family. Uh, this is a guy that uh, really has never had a misstep in his career, I can think politically, as uh, universally as beloved as any player, I think, in NFL history. And to see the backlash that he created from really just a, a kind of a, a strange interview, right? I mean, it's a, a Yahoo business site. It was supposed to be the subject matter was supposed to be about uh, franchising, which we know Drew Brees has a lot of business uh, franchises. And somehow it got started on the on the national anthem controversy. And I'm sure he and his team are retracing their steps as to how they uh, had this misstep. And I, I, I think he's genuinely learned from the experience. I think he's heartfelt in his and sincere in his apology. And I have no doubt that he is going to do everything he can to earn back the trust of some of his teammates who were uh, disappointed and angered by how he reacted. And uh, I think this can actually be something of a galvanizing moment for the New Orleans Saints as opposed to something that might splinter the locker room. Jeff, you mentioned how this will probably be a season-long story. And I'm curious just to see how Drew reacts because, look, he's someone who stands up every week, does a group press conference. Uh, Of course, it's not – Uh, Just local media doing it, national media come in, uh, you know that he's someone who faces the music, answers questions, even off-topic questions, big uh, global issue questions, you know, and I'm sure people are going to want answers, and I wonder how his temperament will be the longer this lasts, because we know how this goes. When you're asked questions probably by local media, we're probably not going to try to hammer this home every week. I mean, that's we move on to the next game, this, that, and the other. Uh, but other people, maybe outside the market, might not. And I'm curious just to see how he approaches this because, look, he's apologized a few times. I don't expect him to have to come out and apologize every week, every time he's asked about it. And I'm wondering how he's going to handle just kind of the delicacy of this issue. Yeah, well, I mean, the message in the meeting the other day, at least the one that Shaquille O'Neal delivered, was uh, his own experience uh, with the Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, while I understood some of it, me being a member of the media, I took a little offense to it. He, He basically was telling the team that the media can 
can divide you on this issue and don't let it divide you. Uh, I think that the heart of the message is right. I'm not sure the media is to blame. It sounds like a very uh, easy, convenient uh, enemy to make. Almost, I don't want to say Trump-like, but like the media is not the enemy here. Uh, you know, and the leadership in this locker room, I think, uh, is so strong, and the communication is so good among those leaders and the respect level that I do not think it will be a divisive element. But I, like you, am wondering how the team will handle it going forward. Drew is going to have to walk that fine line. He's such a great communicator and such a great leader of the team uh, that he, I'm sure, is going to want to use his platform to continue to raise awareness to the cause. Uh, that was what many of his teammates asked him to do in the meeting, was to use his power and his platform and his brand uh, to uh, further the cause. That's something they didn't feel like he'd done enough of. I'm sure he's going to do it going forward. But how does he balance that, Larry, with we know in-season Drew Brees mode, and he's all about the games and the competition and preparing for the opponent. Uh, he's not really good about addressing issues off the field during the season. And I think he's going to have to balance that. I'm eager to see how he balances it going forward because preseason Drew Brees and in-season Drew Brees are two different people. Well, look, Jeff, I, I actually think if something pops up in season, I actually do think he does a, a pretty good job of handling those things. Uh, you know, if there's a, a topic that pops up and this, that, and the other, well, let's be honest, look, he's addressed the, uh, kneeling during the national anthem issue in season and he uh, that's where his staunch approach had really started a few years ago and he continued that and uh, obviously received backlash from it now uh being that it didn't seem like he was sensitive to the issue and didn't understand why people were doing it and this that and the other and yet uh, you know so like i think there's got to be a, a point where maybe in season this storyline probably f- fades a, w- a little bit. I mean, I think it's going to linger this offseason. Uh, and as, uh, look, we go into the season, I'm sure uh, silent protests will happen. I'm sure uh, people are wondering if Drew Brees is going to take a knee, uh, you know? And so, uh, and wh- when does he do it? Because we've seen him take a knee, but not during the national anthem. Knowing Drew Brees, I don't think he's going to take a knee during the anthem. I think he might uh, do so before. And, you know, but here's the thing, Jeff. If Drew Brees were to take a knee during the national anthem, like I think he might anger both sides of, of the coin a little bit. Those who say he shouldn't protest, he shouldn't uh, back away from his stance in the first place. And then I think people might question his. Uh, his genuine nature in doing so because he hasn't done it in the past. Well, I think whatever they do, and I'm sure it will be something that they do, uh, that they discuss as a team. Uh, you know, they have a leadership council within the locker room. Sean Payton is a part of that. Uh, he empowers his team. Uh, he's done that every team he's had here. And I'm sure they will arrive at a decision that the entire team votes on and goes forward uh, in unison. And that's what they did last time, Larry. They, I think they agreed to kneel arm in arm before the anthem as a team and then to stand during the anthem arm in arm 
uh, as a team. And I'm sure that knowing how Sean Payton, Drew Brees, the leaders of this team operate, uh, I'm sure they're going to decide to do something together that shows unity uh, so they can kind of all be in it together. And um, I don't know what what kind of form that's going to take. There's even discussion right now, and I'm not sure it's coming from official channels, but discussion that the, the, the national anthem might not even be played before games this year. Uh, you know, it used to not be played before games. Uh, and because of the COVID crisis and uh People would be singing. There's all kinds of discussions that they may table that, which would be very convenient for the NFL to avoid this controversy. And Jeff, when you look at the reaction of teammates, and look, I'm basically talking about all the questions I've been fielding because, look, I'm sure you've had to do the same thing. We've basically had to speak on behalf of where Drew Brees is coming from and his mental thoughts on all of this uh, when we're having to do radio interviews all this it's almost like because players aren't really doing them of course Sean Payton and Drew Brees aren't so people are leaning on us to kind of put a, a perspective on this and Jeff you know I've looked at it as to where I think inside the locker room that the people who have spoken out publicly saying okay Drew we accept your apology but we want you to do more uh, look You've had a lot of the big names who have spoken out and done this. And yet, look, I'm I'm wondering, and it's human nature, that not the whole locker room is on board with this. And maybe they're not going to be vocal about it, but maybe somewhere that they feel like that they can't trust what Drew Brees is saying anymore. Uh, do you think that could be prevalent? I mean, I think it could. I, I Because... A locker room is more than five people, six people. Uh, look, it's 53 people, practice squad people. Uh, you know, so it's I, – I think it's still a, a tough ask for everyone to 100% get on board, even inside of the locker room, much less outside the locker room. Yeah, I think it, we'd be naive to think that everybody's going to be bought in. Uh, I think Drew Brees' track record over time – with veteran players, as a teammate, as a friend, a colleague, uh, I think he's going to get the benefit of the doubt more so from those players who know what's in his heart and are not going to judge what comes out of his mouth in a, in a quick soundbite over uh, years and years of, of anecdotal evidence to you know his sincerity as a, as a human being. I think the issue is going to be the younger players who don't know Breeze that well uh, ones like C.J. Gardner-Johnson who came out, and uh, I mean, that was inflammatory what he said. And I'm sure it's been addressed internally uh, by the coaching staff, maybe even by management. But there's no doubt that this cut deep with a lot of players and Drew Brees has got some fence mending to do, I think, to earn back their trust. And that's one of his big phrases he uses all the time, trust and confidence in, inside the locker room, trust and confidence. Uh, he's damaged that. And I'm sure he's very aware of it, and I'm sure he's going to go to great lengths to try and rectify it as best he can. But who's to say? I mean, it's going to be a case-by-case basis, each person in that locker room, whether they accept it or not. And when you look at a team like this that was, and still is, one of the best teams in the NFL, and people have asked me, do you think that this can affect them in season? And will this divide the locker room? I think that they have enough time to be able to uh, 
go through practices and go through a training camp and and really have kind of those bonding experiences that everyone talks about during training camp and uh, and if this were to happen had say week two then I think we might have a big big uh, an even bigger bigger problem that could be divisive more divisive uh, than uh, it may be when it comes into the season Jeff do you think that they can solve this uh, not maybe not right this second even though they're starting to but uh, as you go through training camp yeah I think they can but I think it's going to take a collective effort uh, Drew Brees's work is only going to go so far I think at this point uh, he needs to show not tell uh, his actions are going to speak louder than his words at this point and I'm sure he and his team and the Saints uh, leadership are working on an action plan to address how he handles it going forward. But more so than that, Larry, I really think it comes down to the other leaders on the team, Demario Davis, Cam Jordan, Thomas Morstead, Malcolm Jenkins. I mean, there's some strong leaders on this team uh, that have influence within their pos- position groups and also within their just circle of teammates and friends. And those leaders, I think, uh, we've already seen some of them step forward. Mike Thomas, Demario Davis, Cam Jordan backing Drew Brees. Uh, and their support, I think, is going to really determine and define the rest of the Saints season, how this goes, how they handle this crisis. And I think Sean Payton is the leader of the team, as the head coach. While he empowers the players, also, I think, uh, has a big role to play in uh, keeping up open communication in the locker room, a healthy discussion, and airing out any kind of differences. I don't think that one meeting is going to be the only time they they address this going forward. So I really think they've got the right people in place. Uh, I think a younger team, maybe a, a directionless team, would, would struggle with this. But I really think this team is uniquely qualified and suited uh, to overcome it and actually maybe come out the other side a stronger team because of it. And – it's almost fortunate that Drew Brees has two of the more uh, vocal and uh, not just with words but with actions uh, players in the NFL and in the sports world uh, that are on his team that are uh, part of the Players Coalition and uh, you know out front standing up for social injustice and against police brutality. Players like Demario Davis and Malcolm Jenkins. I mean, I feel like if there's anyone in the league that can help steer Drew Brees, A, his mindset toward the issue, and B, just kind of good faith toward the team, it would be those two guys, right? Yeah, that's a great, great point. I mean, it's not like he's uh, doing this in a vacuum. I mean, he's got two teammates who are probably as tuned in to this issue as anyone in the entire NFL. And that's why I really believe uh, he's got the two best players maybe in the whole NFL that can enlighten him and educate him uh, on this subject. And I think that's already begun. Uh, you know, knowing how Breeze operates, uh, I'm sure he's made dozens and dozens of phone calls. Uh, you know, I know we're going to talk about Shannon Sharp uh, later about his, uh, his phone call he got from Drew Breeze. I'm sure that's one of countless ones Drew made uh, in his effort to become better educated on the subject and to understand the blind spot that he apparently had on it. And and I think it's important to also say, Larry, that, you know, it wasn't so much what Drew said. I know that the the 
the, where he talked about the disrespect of the of the national anthem uh, was a hot button comment. But I think more than anything else, it was what he didn't say that disappointed so many people. And I think it's a testament to Drew Brees's uh, uh, you know level of respect from players around the league that it caused such an uproar because I think everyone is so used to Drew always saying the right thing. You and I have covered him so long. He never says something that's not well thought out, uh, politically sensitive. And for him to kind of have this blind spot on this comment, on this issue at this time in America, I think just disillusioned everyone that was close to him. But it's also a, a testament to just how much, how well thought of he is that he got this kind of backlash. I totally agree. Like whenever he addresses an issue and he does, he has time and time again. And you and me, we've covered him. This will be year 15. We've covered him. And when he says these things, it's genuine. So look, I think that uh, his, uh, I think his thought on, here's the thing. I think his thoughts on protesting against the national anthem and kneeling during that, like, I don't think his stance has changed in that he would not do that. I don't think his stance is going to change on that. But I do think that that in admitting that, oh my gosh, I I just was just focusing on on this and not the you know the bigger issue here, that he will have a more of an understanding and respect for his teammates who happen to, if they happen to do that, they do that, and then he he understands why. Because it always just comes off to to where he he's kind of just kind of war blinders, and ju- it's just been very narrow, 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 and not understanding why people are doing it. They're not doing it to uh, disrespect troops and this and that and the other. You know, there there's another issue there, and you know, you can have one and the other. I, I feel like in, in this instance. Yeah, I mean, I wrote that back in 2016 when they initially this controversy. Uh, kind of was sparked around the NFL with Colin Kaepernick. And uh, the, the point was that what Drew saw in, in the symbol of the American flag and in the national anthem was not the same as what Colin Kaepernick uh, felt and, and viewed. And there were a lot of people that see different symbols. I remember talking to uh, Scott Pugita about it. And Scott Pugita said, yeah, symbols are symbols. Everyone has different uh, feelings and reactions to symbols in our country and in the world. And I really feel like the, the the disconnect was that how much things have changed in the country, especially in this moment from when that happened originally to where we're at now. And I think that more than anything else is what um, triggered so, many, so much backlash towards Drew that he hadn't uh, recognized uh, those changes in America, uh, especially in the wake of the George Floyd tragedy. And Jeff, let's go outside the locker room um, because it's harping inside, inside, inside. Drew Brees is a businessman. Drew Brees is a face of the NFL. Drew Brees is a face of a lot of companies, his own uh, foundations and things like that. And there are other teams in the NFL, other player, other people in the sporting world, society. Uh, you know, he's not going to have the luxury of calling everyone. And I feel like that Drew Brees in his original stance and then his 180, that he's angered people on both sides of this issue now. And where he goes from here, I I don't know. And I'm curious just to see how the public handles him going forward because, look, 
part of him is public. I mean, he's, like I said, businesses and this, that, and the other. And so, uh, you know, I think it's he's going down, at least in the immediate future, a tough road because it seems like that both sides, there's going to be some distrust with him. And he's never had to deal with that, I feel like, in his life, ever. Right. Uh, There's no doubt, and I think he's making a decision right now internally that he's going to side with his teammates. Uh, You and I both know there's nothing that means more to Drew Brees in this world other than his family and his faith uh, than his teammates, the love and respect of the brothers that he goes to battle with, uh, lack of a better description, every Sunday. It means the world to him, and that is what – has crushed him about this as a leader of the team, a team captain, the face of the franchise for him to have created a distraction and a division and to disappointed and hurt the people he cares so much about, I think was uh, totally heartbreaking to him. And I'm no doubt he's sincere in how he's going to go forward. And I think he's already shown the, the direction he's going to take with his response to president Trump's tweet that was on a T for Drew Brees could not have been a better situation for him to immediately show where he stood on the issue going forward and to show his teammates uh, that his uh, words would, you know, and his actions uh, are in the, in the, uh, all right, he's taking them to heart from what he's uh, that, that meeting they had the other day. Yeah. Look, I, after uh, the response from president Trump and then drew Brees's response, I uh, text message back and forth with uh, one of Drew Brees' teammates, and both of us expressed some surprise that he stood up to Donald Trump. You wouldn't have thought that. And I think that showed some good faith in there, that someone like Drew Brees, who we're talking politics, we assume he's a Republican, you know, and so uh, maybe he's not, but look, that, you know, that's that's the perception of him and that he stood up to him and and said what he said. I think that was a big, a big, big step. But of course, people are expecting more from him. And you and me know that Drew Brees will likely deliver in that. But Jeff, you mentioned Shannon Sharp uh, a couple minutes ago, and I wanted to make it a point to play from Undisputed on Monday. Uh, Shannon Sharp had a conversation with Drew Brees. And Jeff, you listened to Shannon's reaction to Drew Brees, the conversation. And I I, want to kind of play this as we segue into our uh, back half of this Duncan Holder podcast. Uh, But Jeff, what did you take from what Shannon Sharp, what we're about to play, what Shannon Sharp had to say with Drew Brees? Because I wanted to play this clip because he's not in the locker room. He doesn't know Drew Brees all that well. Uh, and I feel like that this is somewhat, this is something that an outsider where Drew Brees is going to have to almost convince that he's sincere in what he's doing. Yeah, you know, Joe Horn reached out to me uh, the night of Drew Brees' comments when the controversy really erupted. And Drew, I mean, I'm sorry, Joe Horn knows Drew. He played with him. He's uh, come back to town many times. And his his defense of Drew was the people that were criticizing him don't know him. And I really thought uh, Joe was spot on in his comments about uh, Breeze, that if you know him, you know that his comments should not, don't truly reflect the man, Drew Breeze. And I think Shannon Sharp understood that after one conversation with Drew Brees, that it, that's all it takes 
with Drew to understand uh, where he's coming from and that he's sincere and that more than anything else, he cares about unity and, uh, you know, love and uh, respect, all those things that this, uh, you know, controversy kind of revolves around those issues. And uh, I, I think that conversation was very healthy. And clearly, I think it it uh, hit home for Shannon Sharp, who said that he believes uh, Drew Brees is sincere. And I think Drew Brees has got a lot more of those kind of conversations to have going forward. But he will do it that way. He will do it one-on-one, man-to-man, man-to-woman. Uh, that's just how he operates. And that, I think, also is a little bit uh, illuminating to me in how the younger generation today, and I'm going to sound like an old man here, Larry, but like when Drew's comments first broke, a lot of his teammates went right to social media and blasted him. And I think that took Breeze aback because that's not really how Drew operates when he's talking about a teammate. He would definitely go interpersonal in a communication, not social media, but that's a generational gap there between him and the rest of his teammates. And I think that's also something that has to be repaired a little bit, not just Breeze's comments, but also some of the stuff that players said about Drew. Uh, that's something that's going to have to be repaired, I think, one-on-one. Well, as we segue into the back half of the Duncan Holder podcast, don't forget Will Guillory. We're talking all things Pelicans as the Pelicans are going to be coming back uh, and the NBA, so we'll talk about that. But uh, as we lean in to the second half of the podcast, here's it's about four minutes. It's worth your time. Here is what Shannon Sharp on Fox Sports 1's Undisputed, he discusses Drew Brees' conversation uh, that he had, and I think it is really worth a listen for everyone. So uh, after that, we'll get to Will Guillory of The Athletic Talking Pelicans here on the Duncan Holder Podcast. I say the floor is yours. You tell me what you're thinking, and then I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking and how, you know, why I reacted the way I reacted. And he says, uh, he says first of all, I want to apologize. I want to say that I'm sorry, not only just to you, but to the entire black community. He says, I can understand how what I said, going back and looking at it, I can understand the feelings that you guys felt because it does come off that I lack compassion, that I lack empathy, that I lack, uh, lack understanding. And, uh, and, it's, and that's not like, that's not me. That's not my heart. And he says, if anything, if you know me, uh, uh, Shannon, and you don't really know me well, but we've been around each other. He says, I think you know that I have a good heart. And that I've immersed myself in New Orleans since the, since I arrived here. Uh, I think he said, I think 06. He said, so for 15 years, I've been a pillar in the community. And he says, I don't want one bad mistake. I don't want one slip up to ruin everything that I've built. I said, Drew, what you have to understand is that for one second, we didn't want you to be Drew Reeves. We wanted you to be one of us. We wanted you to feel if that was your brother. If that was your uncle, if that was your father, mm-hmm. you're, you're still a married father. You're still a, a, a doting dad. But for one second, you were black. Mm-hmm. How would you feel? And he said, I, I, and, and I said, Drew, when you said, you know, fought for the military, you do understand that not only were they fighting in a foreign land for freedoms over there, they were also fighting for freedoms back home. Like the freedom that, and the pride that you feel when you stand for that flag. Everybody does not feel that same sense of pride because they haven't been afforded the same, some of the same opportunities that you and your ancestors have been afforded. He says, I understand that. He says, uh, talking to a lot of my teammates and see the, the, the hurt that they felt. I said, Drew, let me break it down to you in a nutshell. What hurt the most is because it came from you. I said, Drew, no white quarterback in the history of the NFL has had black support like you got it. 
I said, it, uh, we don't need to get in the court, different quarterback. I said, but other quarterback could have said exactly what you said, and everybody would have been upset, but they said, you know what? I expected that from him. I expected nothing less. But given you in New Orleans, what you've done in the community with Katrina, donating $5 million out of your pocket during this pandemic to feed the homeless, I mean, the, excuse me, the hungry, mm-hmm. and Drew said, Drew, I said, Drew, why do you think your teammates lashed out like that? Because they couldn't believe that came from you. And after talking to him, Skip, I could feel the pain. And I'm not a guy that's easily forgiven. You got, you got to show me, Skip. And I said, and he said, so what, do you, what, what, what should I do moving forward? I said, Drew, don't issue any more apologies. I said, your first apology, I said, let me tell you what's going to happen. I said, there's going to be a certain segment that says Drew, is, Drew Brees is only apologizing because he got caught in this firestorm. Now, there's going to be another group that says, you know what? I'm looking at his action, and they match his words. He said he was going to do this. He's doing this. You cannot concern yourself about the ones that's, gonna, that's not going to be willing to forgive. Skip, I don't believe in a scarlet. I don't believe one incident should rule. I mean, there are certain things that can, but I don't believe him saying what he said should be the end of Drew Brees. I believe he deserves an opportunity for redemption because he's been too good in that community for let this one slip up undo 15 years of great service. Mm. And that's what I told him. I said, Drew, I'll be here. I said, uh, my criticism was harsh. There's no question about that. And I understand that's probably why you're reaching out. But I wanted you to understand not only the hurt that the community felt, that I felt. Because when Skip and I talked about this on Tuesday, the first name out of my mouth is I said, Drew Brees, we need you. I said, Drew, we need strong white men, powerful, influential, like you, to help us get the ball across the finish line. And I said, Drew, I think you understand that. I think the blowback that you got was, I think it was deserving. But I also believe that you have a great heart. And I believe you will make right about the wrong that you spoke. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you could jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash football. That's drinkhydrant.com slash football for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash football. All right, back here on the Duncan Holder Podcast. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here with you, of course, on the Athletics Podcast Network. And it has been a minute or two since we have had our good friend, Will Guillory of The Athletic, covering the Pelicans. Will, I, I mean, I feel like it, we've we've social distanced far too much without the NBA. How are you, a good old friend? 
I know. I was going to say it's been far too long since I talked to you guys, but we actually met up a few days ago at an undisclosed location and uh, got to see each other for the first time in a long time, man. It was good seeing y'all guys for sure. Well, it was fun to actually drink, uh, you know, an alcoholic beverage out in a public uh, public environment. We were socially distanced. Let's just get that straight. Uh, we were also outdoors. Let's get that straight. And uh, I think I, I think Larry might have even bought a round, which might have been a first. I'm not sure. Is that true? Wow. Now I'm cheap, huh? I'm just glad. Will, I'm just glad Will and I had the same uh, palate. I think we all did. We were all drinking our uh, our Holy Roller, our friends from Urban South Holy Roller IPA. That's that was our drink of choice that day. Uh, and uh, Will, I'm I'm proud of you. I didn't know you had that in you. Yeah, man, that was actually my first time. I enjoyed the the Holy Roller for sure. So I appreciate you with that uh, that assist on that one for sure. Yeah, you could become like an IPA snob like me, you and me. We could we could just like we could like drink the little flights and like hold up our pinky and, and be IPA snobs going forward. But but well, look, uh, look, you're going to be having basketball, real life basketball coming up uh in, by the end of July. Uh at first, I just want to get a refresher on the Pelicans. I mean, I feel like we've been so far removed. I forgot how how they were playing. I forgot who was hurt, who wasn't, the state of the team. Uh, just for a, almost kind of a primer, a refresher, how were the Pelicans playing before uh, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, began? Yeah, well, uh, I don't know if you heard, but they drafted this guy named Zion Williamson. He turned out to be... I remember that. Pretty good. I remember that guy. That's that's decent. where I'm at. I remember that. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, right before the shutdown, I think... They were looking like one of the hotter teams in the NBA, but uh, I think people, a lot of people forgot that they were kind of starting to go down a little bit. They lost that game at home to Minnesota. They lost a couple tough ones to the Lakers. And the night of the shutdown, they were set to play a, a pretty big game against the Sacramento Kings, one of the teams that they're fighting for for that 8 seed. So I think they were really starting to settle into who they were as a team with Zion coming back and pretty much the entire roster healthy. But I do think there were some growing pains they were going through just because they had so many young guys in the rotation. And I think it's going to be interesting to see once they come back how everybody has settled in, what those guys look like, because it's been so long since the last time they played. It's going to be interesting to see how much, you know, Zion Williamson's game has transformed. Has B.I.'s game transformed at all? So I think that's going to be uh, really interesting to see once all of these guys come back. But we know this is going to be one of the the fastest up-tempo, you know, high-flying teams out there in Orlando. It's just a matter of, you know, how they mesh after being away for so long. Well, we know the NBA is announced now. It's return to play uh, schedule, or not a schedule, but at least the format we're going to see to finish the regular season, get into the play-in tournament. I assume most of our listeners know how that's going to take place. What I'm curious to know from your end is, do you expect this to be favorable to the Pelicans? You know, there were a bunch of plans bandied about and and reported. We know that the general managers were considering a bunch of different possibilities the one that they landed on how does this fit with the pelicans chances maybe of getting back in the playoffs yeah i think unfortunately for the pelicans the tiebreaker situation kind of went against their favor which is something we can talk about later but i think you know the the big question you know we still don't have the answer to is what the schedule is going to look like for all of these teams you know the the nba uh 
agreed upon that all 22 teams that are going to be going to Orlando are going to play eight games, uh, eight quote unquote regular season games before they start the playoff schedule. So uh, I think a big question is going to be what those eight games are going to look like for the Pelicans and for the rest of the league. And I think for the Pelicans this is going to be a really interesting question because before the shutdown, they were set to play the easiest schedule in the NBA going down the stretch. And that was something, you know, everybody I talked to with the team was extremely excited about going down the backstretch uh, of the, the schedule was that they were going to have so many bad teams and so many home games and so many teams that were out of the playoff race that they kind of had lined up and they thought they were in a great position to make a run. And now where, you know, the, the, the schedule is condensed and obviously you don't have teams like the Hawks or the Knicks coming up to Orlando. The schedule isn't going to be as easy as the Pelicans were hoping, uh, but I, I know for a fact that they they want to ha- have the opportunity to play the Memphis Grizzlies at least two times. They want to play the San Antonio Spurs and the Kings and some of these other teams that they're fighting uh, with for that eighth slot. So I think uh, every team out there, especially the teams fighting for that eighth spot, uh, are going to be very curious to see what that schedule is going to look like, who are the eight teams that they are set to face, because that's going to go a long way in determining, you know, how good your chances are to make it in, because we know it's going to be really tight, especially with the way they kind of set things up with the, the tiebreakers kind of going out the window. So I, I think the number one question for the Pels is who they're playing, when they play them, and how that's going to affect Memphis and the rest of those teams fight for the eighth spot. Will, you mentioned the tiebreakers. Just kind of give us the situation where that's stands there where it's great that the Pelicans are in, but let's hold off and see what happens for them to make the playoffs. I mean, where do they stand in, in that scenario? Yeah, I mean, the uh, at the end of the day, the, the NBA was going to have to make a tough decision regardless, and, you know, somebody was going to be at a disadvantage, disadvantage. One of these teams are going to be upset regardless, so I, I think it was a tough position the NBA was in going to this situation, but basically what they decided upon was that winning percentage would be the tiebreaker uh, for all of these teams, even though they don't have the same amount of games. For example, Portland ended up playing two more games in New Orleans when the shutdown happened. Uh, so I think if the, the if Portland and New Orleans end up playing the same, put, put, put up the same record, I should say, in Orlando, the Portland would have the tiebreaker because of winning percentage because they played more games, even though the Pelicans swept them during the regular season 4-0. Portland would still have the tiebreaker advantage just because of win percentage, and they were fortunate enough to play two more games. Uh, so I think that's something that's going to be a real point of contention if that's what it comes down to. But I think uh, the Pelicans just kind of got the short end of the stick on this one as far as the tiebreaker just because they played two less games. And, you know, what's really unfortunate is that uh, one of those games they could have got under their belt, they didn't play because they were the very last team on the schedule the night the NBA shut down. And they ended up – they were about, you know, a, a fingernail away from coming out there and playing that game against the Kings, but they decided not to at the last minute. And you wonder how things would have changed if they did play that game, if they would have got a win, how they would have affected everything else. Uh, but you know, just the way things played out, uh, they're going in uh, pretty much looking at they got to they be at least, you know, five and three in those eight games just to give themselves a shot of, uh, of getting into that playing tournament. Well, what do you think Alvin and the staff – are going to do as far as style of play. We know they are a pace team. They're among the league leaders and getting up and down the court. That's their style. But this basically is kind of like a playoff format in a way. I mean, every game is going to be so important. It, it might as well be the playoffs. Um, and they haven't had 
any camp yet. They're going to have very little time to work on that conditioning. Do you still think they will put the pedal to the metal? I mean, that's the way they play uh, in these games. Uh, or do you think that the pace is going to slow down a little bit because of the nature of the unusual circumstances we have with this layoff and the fact that teams haven't had a, a, a lot of time to prepare or that won't have a lot of time to prepare for the games? Yeah, Jeff, I mean, you know Alvin just like I do, and he likes to play one style of basketball. He wants to run. He wants his guys getting up and down the court, and I think especially with this team and the way that it's built, uh, I think they want to play as fast as possible at all times. Uh, I think that's how you get the best out of guys like Lonzo Ball, out of Zion Williamson. They want to get up and down the court. They want to see those half-court lobs between Zoe and Zion. They want to see Brandon Ingram running the wing and getting the finish in open court because I think that makes the game easier for a lot of these guys. And I think there was a bit of an adjustment period once Zion came back because he turned into such a big part of the offense during the first half of the season, they were leaning so much on guys like Drew Holiday and Brandon Ingram. And you bring a guy like that in who's going to give you 24 a night on 60% shooting. Obviously, a lot of the offense is going to turn in his direction. So uh, there was some adjusting that they were still going through even up until the shutdown. So I think there's going to be a bit of a, a, a little awkward transition when they come back. But I do think uh, Alvin Gentry would say the way to kind of ease that uh, that transition is to play fast, is to get guys out in the open court, make their decisions easier. And I think they want to do that as much as possible. And when they do that, uh, they look like one of the most dangerous teams in the league because they have so many weapons and they do have so many different three-point shooters so I, I, you're exactly right usually when we get to playoff time and later in the season uh, the, the game slows down defense becomes more of a factor but I think Alvin Gentry wants to stick to the identity that this team has built and, and they want to run and they want to get out and transition and allow these young athletic guys to really show what they can do and and make the game easier for all of them. Will you mention Alvin Gentry? He's 65 years old. Mm-hmm. I think they, there's a concern that he might not even be able to go. What Do you have any kind of insight on that? Is that a legitimate concern? It sounds for me from, from folks that I've talked to that that could be a concern, that he might not be able to go because of his age. Uh, where, where, where do they stand there? What, what is your thoughts on that issue? I know for a fact that that's something that they're absolutely, uh, I don't want to say fighting, but going back and forth with the league about this this topic because Alvin Gentry is very passionate about it. And I think he he's a guy that wants to be on the sidelines coaching his team without any restrictions. And you understand why the NBA may feel a little, you know, queasy about bringing, you know, these older coaches into this environment and putting them at risk. And not, and not only Alvin Gentry, but the Pelicans lead assistant, uh, Jeff Bizdelic is 65 plus. So those are Two coaches, potentially, the Pelicans could be without or could be, you know, could have out there on a limited basis. So I think uh, this is something that the Pelicans are, are very focused on. And I think this is much bigger than them. I think the, the the argument Alvin Gentry and some of the other coaches around the league have made is that this can impact coaches 65 plus going into the future and how teams view them. And, and that's a big reason why they don't want to have any restrictions going into this situation. Although the NBA has discussed the possibility that maybe them, you know, wearing face masks on the sideline. And I know uh, the coaches have pushed back on that as well because they want to be able to communicate with their players. And I know you guys remember during the first half of the season, this was a big point of discussion with this team was how much Alvin Gentry was communicating with his guys. How much was he having a hands-on approach with his younger team when he was so used to coaching 
older guys like Anthony Davis, like Drew Holiday, Rajon Rondo. He was much more of a hands-off kind of roll the ball out there and let those guys go in the past. But with this younger team, he, he kind of adjusted during the course of the year and, you know, was calling more plays. He was calling more timeouts to get guys organized. And I thought that that was something that really helped in their, their transition during the course of the season and, and becoming a much more fundamentally sound team. And if he feels like he can't communicate the same way, I'm sure that they're going to feel like that's a, a slight disadvantage for them going into these games. So that's something that they're going to continue to talk to the league about. And I think if Alvin has his way, he's going to be on the sidelines, no face mask, coaching the same way he has all season. And it'll be, it'll be very uh, telling to see how the NBA handles that and how much they kind of hold him back from doing what he wants to do. Well, everyone wants to know one question. I get asked it all the time. And I'm sure you've been asked <laughs> I have it many a feeling times. This. What kind of shape is Zion Williamson going to be? And I mean, he's been off for a period of time. We know he was coming back from, uh, you know, knee surgery. He was allowed as among uh, every player in the league that was recovering from surgeries or rehab. They were allowed to come to the facility and, as they say, get on the table, in other words, with the trainers and do the rehab. But conditioning is a whole other matter. I know Aaron Nelson's one of the best in the business. He certainly can uh, have one-on-one sessions virtually with his players. But we really don't know uh, what kind of shape Zion Williamson is going to be in when he reports. Uh, what are you hearing or have you heard anything about uh, his conditioning and, and uh, weight, if anything, uh, before he reports to camp? Yeah, I think it's probably safe to say that's going to be the number one question going into this Orlando experiment is what does Zion look like? What kind of impact can he have? And I think uh, you brought up the, the the first point I was going to bring up. Uh, I think the Pelicans were very fortunate uh, to be able to see him throughout this quarantine process and have him come in for checkups on that knee, even though they felt like the knee was fine and he was obviously playing after the knee surgery. So it wasn't as if uh, it was an issue with the knee. They just wanted to have continued rehab with him and being able to see him in a facility and see what he looks like. I think it was really important to the team. Uh, and I, I don't think they're concerned as much with his shape or if he, you know, was eating too many Doritos during quarantine or anything like that. I think <laughs> they believe he's going to come back and be fine. I, I, I do think, you know, for basically the entire NBA is going to be a concern as far as being off so long and not being in quote unquote basketball shape. When you come back, there's really no way to be in basketball shape other than playing in basketball games. And that was something that was a concern for Zion before the shutdown. Well, we've seen him in fourth quarters and with his hands on his knees bent over and, you know, he, he wasn't exactly in the shape he, he wanted to be during the season. And I think he was doing some work during this time off to get himself back. Right. But, there's no way to really know until he gets back on the court. So I think that's the biggest thing for them is just seeing him once they can finally do some team activities, how he's looking, getting up and down the court. But I think it's a concern for the entire league. Uh, but I don't think that we need to worry about Zion coming back and being much bigger than he was or, you know, ha having the Baron Davis gut or anything like that. I think he'll be just fine. And it's just a matter of how quickly he can get back to playing like the guy we saw before the shutdown, because, Let's be real. I mean, he was looking like one of the best players in the league, period, before all of this happened. 
And if he can pick up where he left off, uh, I think the Pelicans are going to be one of the most dangerous teams in Orlando easily. As long as he lays off the IPAs and doesn't get the dad bod <laughs> gut like I've gotten. And now I'm, I've encouraged you to do, Will. Like I'm probably a bad influence on you, and I, I'm going to apologize uh, for that. Actually, I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> but uh, let's but let's let's be honest. I've gotten this question, uh, another question about just the league. Did they make this format just to have the Pelicans and Zion in? I mean, you're never going to hear that publicly, but my guess is yes, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, of course the NBA wants to put the best TV product on as uh, as they possibly can, and we know how much of a TV draw Zion was during the season, even going back to his days at Duke. Every time that guy's on TV, it's it's ratings goal for these TV networks. So obviously they want to get him on, but I think that extends to even guys like Damian Lillard and you know some of these other teams that they included in Orlando. And I think they want to get as much star power as possible into this Orlando bubble. And I do think just from talking to people, I do think one concern they had going in, uh, which a format that I, I talked about going into, was just going straight to the playoffs and kind of leaving these bubble teams out of it. And I do think one thing they were concerned about was going in and just having the same teams play against each other over and over again the way we do in these playoff series. And I do think they are excited about the prospects of having all of these different guys match up against each other, uh, Zion versus Dame or Zion versus the Spurs. Zion, maybe he'll get a game in against the Clippers or one of these upper tier you know, playoff teams. They want to see these guys in as many different matchups and see them play against each other as much as possible. And we know getting Zion out there is a huge part of that. But I do think uh, another part of it was that the NBA and Adam Silver has discussed this before. He wants to experiment with different playoff ideas. And I know they are uh, kind of bored with the current format that they've been running basically, you know, for decades now. And Adam Silver has discussed how much he's been intrigued with the way soccer holds some of their tournaments and the way they hand out multiple trophies in one year and i think uh, the nba has wanted to try something different and i think that the the way that the quarantine and obviously the covid19 shutdown uh has shifted so many things about this season it's allowed him to kind of try something different and i do think they want to see how this playing tournament works and having so many different teams fighting for a playoff spot, how it changes things and how much it kind of intrigues fans. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is an idea that they use beyond this season. And I think this is an experiment. They want to see how it works, how, how teams adjust to it. And obviously the TV is a big part of it, but I do think Adam Silver wants to try something different with his playoffs format and see if he can add some different, add some spice to the end of the season and see how fans kind of react to it. Well, Will, appreciate you jumping on, my friend. Uh, we will certainly catch up as we get closer and as this new format, new NBA world comes about. But really appreciate you jumping on. And, of course, follow all of Will's coverage at theathletic.com slash New Orleans. Thanks, Absolutely. Buddy. I'm looking forward to the next socially distanced IPA. We can have uh, all of the fellas together, man. That was great. All right. So we'll do it in about 20 minutes. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Will. Right. Appreciate Absolutely. It, Talk to you guys later. All right. Want to thank Will Guillory for jumping on today's podcast. Of course, want to thank our awesome producer, Danielle, as always, for putting up with all of our shenanigans. So you know the drill by now. Theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You can get 40% off of your first year's annual subscription. Get all of our podcasts, all of our great coverage written and on pods. You could do that. 
theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder or Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Rate, review, subscribe to the Duncan Holder podcast. So for Jeff Duncan, I am Larry Holder. Thanks for joining us once again here on the Duncan Holder podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network.